Hi, Eric Bailey and Eli Letterman talking Oklahoma football, Oklahoma basketball, Oklahoma gymnastics, softball, you name it. It's that time of year when everything's kind of coming together and uh, it, it, school has started on campus in Norman. You think uh, things would quiet down after football season, but man, it just seems just as as busy right now as it has all year, Eli. I mean, we don't call it the world's best OU podcast because we cover <laughs> just one thing, man. I mean, there's everything going on right now. It feels like somehow, I mean, like you said, football's done. And now really we'll probably slow down with the, the transfer portal closed. And as things stand, Brent Venables' staff is intact. So I don't know what other developments we'll get uh, on the football end for at least for a couple of weeks. But between men's and women's basketball, we got softball and baseball coming, gymnastics, the home opener Sunday night. Uh, there, there's a lot going on in Norman. You know, let's talk basketball first, Eli, because we're kind of in the heat of Big 12 basketball and just a tough loss for the seniors in Stillwater, which has really turned out to be a real tough place for, for Oklahoma to play in recent years. And it was one of those games where first half, it looked like they were going to do really well. They had Grant Sherfield really going off on it. And uh, Cowboys just found a way to shut him down and really pull away in the second half. And just just a, a, a tough defeat for the Sooners, who still, and we look at some of these bracketologists, they're still right there on the bubble yep. in the tournament right now. I mean, it's it has become a slight house of horrors for OU. We don't know how many times they'll go play in Gallagher Arena before they go to the SEC. But as things stand, it's four straight losses. Their last win there was in 2019. So Stillwater has not been a friendly trip for the Sooners. And this was, uh, maybe if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or wherever else, you get your podcast, you won't see this hand motion. But <laughs> up and down, up and down, that's been this OU team is, is that, uh, you know, night, night to night or game to game. You just don't quite know what you're going to get. In this case, it was half to half in the first half. Uh, they looked good. I think, you know, with, with Grant Sherfield scoring, it was at one point uh, 13 straight points, 15 out of 17. Probably masked the fact that the rest of the offense and the, everyone else in that rotation was struggling offensively. But Grant Sherfield was great. And then after halftime, not only did he go cold, he went over six from the field, didn't score, but the Cowboys started hitting on everything uh started with that woody newton three-pointer and and descended from there uh but you know porter moser pointed out afterward and he, he kind of reiterated it today that he felt like that it was one of the first times in a while he's seen his offense and and the way it's playing and in that case kind of struggling dictating their defense and he was really disappointed in that i don't know if there's any getting around uh a team shooting like oklahoma state did in the second half there in the early part i mean that can only you can only contest shots so well if they're falling but I think in terms of not being able to flip that game or at least mount some kind of comeback, that was probably reporter's frustration was. You know, it's funny, too, because another opportunity comes up uh, on deck tomorrow, Saturday, yeah. against Baylor, a nationally ranked Baylor team. And every time the Sooners hit the floor, they can add to that resume. You know, there's no – we've talked about this in the port. There's no days off. That's the crazy thing. Oklahoma has a chance to, to, to play a really good Baylor team, and if they can win at home, it'd be big for their resume. And it's one of those things where Oklahoma, boy, you really hope you can take care of business at home, especially because you start thinking about it pretty soon, you're going to say, oh, there's still 10 league games left. Pretty soon there's six, there's four, and there's not a lot of opportunity to really make your mark. So I think this is going to be a huge home game for the Sooners. I guess a whiteout for the program, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, to your point, it's like, I don't know if it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. You lose a game Wednesday night and right on, you, you don't have time to think much about it. You've got to turn around and host a ranked opponent. And there's drawbacks to that. There's positives. They can go, you know, not just make up for that loss, but really add a quality 
where they're all going to be quality wins if they get them in the Big 12, but a quality win over a ranked opponent. Uh, but it'll be a challenge. I, I do think, I think these next three games are really important for OU. We saw Baylor, who's coming here uh, on Saturday. The, Ten days ago, they were 0-3 in the conference. Now they're 3-3, and back in the thick of it, 21st in the country. A week or 10 days in this league can change a lot. And I, I think for OU, when you think about Baylor, then a trip to TCU, and then hosting Alabama, playing some of the best basketball in the country right now, those three games really might have bearing that that'll take them into February. And, you know, you think about the difference between two and one there, one and two or, or on the worst end, you know, oh, and three, what that could do, sending them into the final full month of the season. I think this is a big stretch. I think tomorrow is important. And, uh, and Eric, we've seen what they can do against ranked opponents, but we've, we've also seen that those are the games where they, they hang, they hang, they hang. They don't quite have enough. So you're going to need to flip some kind of switch uh, against Baylor. You know, you get that same feeling as last year, too, because Oklahoma was kind of just spinning its wheels about this point last year as well. And when it comes to March, you look at them, they're one of the last four teams out of the NCAA tournament. So you don't want to put yourself in that position, again, where you're depending on outcomes in conference tournaments across the country that last week. You want to really solidify things. And uh, the Big 12, of course, again, top conference in the country. Uh, you can really <laughs> any win road or home, you're really going to enhance that resume. So I think Oklahoma, these next three games, and having Alabama come to town, I mean, Alabama, that's who, – who knew that? I mean, look at what they're doing this year, too, so in a future SEC opponent. So that'll be interesting, too. Uh, I, I would I would just add, though, not – I don't think it should be thrown away that maybe the opportunity that the Sooners threw away there on Wednesday, just because, as you say, you don't want to leave it till the end. It That's like uh, – if you leave this till the end and miss Big 12, if you're going to say that – you're going to rack up six wins in February against the tougher part of the schedule. I, I wish them luck. And, and they, I think the Sooners, to get to that number they need to hit, whether it's eight conference wins, nine, ten, opportunities like Oklahoma State and are, are going to be few and far between. A relative in this league, a team in the bottom half of the standings, they'll obviously get Oklahoma State back at home and maybe they can make up for it there. But the, the Sooners definitely have to be careful, I think, about wasting opportunities because there's there's only so many uh you know it, it's all relative but it's softer games on the schedule ahead yeah uh, and and they might have tossed them away the other night yeah you talk about wasting opportunities too that was a chance to win a game on the road but then waste opportunities are those close one possession losses too well that too that it, it too. all adds I mean, up and that, that probably hurts a little more because those other games you were close you had a chance and you could put your you know if we did this better we did this better we might have won that game that's probably what Porter Moser's telling himself Oklahoma State like you mentioned it was just the the, the offense wasn't there uh defense is what they hang their hat on and just you didn't see it as much uh you know it seemed like the second half Oklahoma State was throwing down dunks every possession it felt like for us yeah. just athleticism and it's something they're gonna have to get fixed uh, double header day, Lloyd. No yeah, more. Bed, more bedlam, more bedlam, more bedlam. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma women, number fifteen in the country, first place. OU women, they're in first place alone in the Big Twelve standings. Uh, I think going in, the most interesting thing about this is uh, Taylor Robertson. We've talked about her in the past. She is five away from setting the NCAA record for most three pointers in her career. Uh, it's one of those things where you, you really, if you hadn't had a chance to go watch her, I think you know. Uh, Jenny Branchek really wants the fans to come out and see this team because they're going to be, you know, just a handful of games left inside there. And uh, you ask yourself, you know, five, five three-pointers a game, that's a lot to ask. But she's done it more than any player in NCAA history. She's done it 40-plus times. So uh, that'll be fun for the Sooners. Uh, you know, just I'm really impressed with the way they're playing basketball. They're, they're at six in the nation in assists. 
Uh, it's just a fun team to watch, uh, just an up and down pace. Uh, you know, it's funny. I bet Porter Mosier would love to have some of those points that Oklahoma's scoring. They're scoring a lot of points on this end. So just, just a fun team and, and Bedlam, too. This is Oklahoma State team coming in that's playing really well as well. Also, you know, uh, J.C. Holt, uh, J.C. Holt, J.C. Hoyt in her first season is having a really, really good year and turning those things around. It's still one or two. So it'll be a fun game on Saturday. There's certainly some juice to this one. And, and I think Taylor Robertson is the story. I want to ask you about a story you're working on about Taylor right now. but. Just to the point of, of this OU team and the caliber, the other night, I think it was on display, Maddie Williams can lead the can lead with 19 points, and you've got Anna Yanu, uh, Lanusa. And they, they just have the depth, and so many people, Taylor Robertson in that group, on a given night can be that lead scorer, and I think that's part of what makes them so dangerous is, is the depth uh, and, and the scoring they can deliver. It's been fun to watch, and I, I, I do think, you know, I, I would not have expected Oklahoma State to be in the spot it's in right now. It's a credit. Uh, to J.C. Hoyt and, and just bringing in a team because they, they brought in a lot of transfers, a lot of new faces and finding a way to to not just, you know, mow through a, a soft non-conference schedule. They're getting Big 12 wins and uh, beating good teams. So there, there is some juice to this. But with Taylor Robertson, you you spent, uh, I think, a good chunk of time. The last time we were on here, you were with that uh, OU backdrop from the media room in Lloyd Noble. What What struck you about Taylor at this moment, because you're, you're finding her now toward the end of her career. She's on the precipice of this record. Stories coming up soon. Had a chance to talk to her, not just about the, the, the 497 three-pointer that she's chasing, but just about how she got to where she's at. And what impressed me is, talked about her dad. Uh, her dad passed away when she was in high school, but her dad's the one that taught her to, to, to shoot. And he never let her shoot three-pointers. She never shot threes. It was always 15, 18-foot mid-range jumpers. When she was a baby, when she was three, uh, the goal was, okay, shoot, shoot, use the right shooting form and hit the bottom of the net. Then it was the middle of the net. Then it was the backboard. Then it was the rim. He made sure that she had the mechanics of shooting first before she went out and just tried to make baskets. And that impressed me too. And it, it's tough on her not having him here to see what she's been able to accomplish. But she, Jenny Bronchak put it best. He's here. He sees everything. And, and, and everyone knows that he's seeing what she's about to accomplish. She's, like I said, she's five away from setting the NCAA record for three-pointers in a career. She's going to have well over 500 when her career is said and done. So just impressed with her. I had a lot of fun asking some off-the-wall questions. I said, I asked her if a, a banked three-point shot counts. She's had a couple of those in her career. And she said, hey, if it helps us win, I'll take it. But it's not it's not the prettiest thing. Uh, she named a couple of her favorite shots, uh, three-point shots. She had a game winner against Kansas State last season. And interesting, the one that she talked about the most was two years ago at West Virginia, uh, or it might have been three years ago. Uh, it was during the COVID year uh, when she hit a big three-pointer to help them uh, beat a nationally ranked West Virginia team in Morgantown. So we, we talked a lot about her three-point shooting and, and what she does, her routine, and and just her advice to younger younger shooters, what would she tell those younger kids that want to be like her? And she had a really neat advice for those. And that'll be in uh, Saturday's Tulsa World as an advance to the Bedlam game. I think also you got some insight. Makes sense given her own three-point shooting clip, but how she settled on her number? Curry. This is a Curry. That's it. I mean, Seth Curry. Steph Curry. That That's <laughs> number 30. It's it's it, She was number 23 in um, – high school before LeBron and Michael Jordan, and then she moved to 30, and that's how she's been number 30. In fact, both Curry brothers, she, she's really big fans. Of course, 
shooters. <laughs> she's going to be a favorite. There you shooter. go. So, and uh, that that's that's what it is. And she 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 ideal just really really loves watching Curry shoot uh, Steph Curry shoot the ball. I asked her, does she use a mouthpiece? And she said, no, she can't use a mouthpiece because we see Curry with the mouthpiece out of his yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everything else she does, the success she has, it's pretty amazing. So the young lady wants to play in the WNBA next year. I think with her shooting ability, she'll get some definite looks. So it's going to be fun following her career the rest of this year, as well as uh, post-OU as well. Well, it's setting up. Well, one, I, I think Taylor needs to, to see my jumper at some point. That might add a little more inspiration. <laughs> um, but it's setting up for a really good day, I think, in, at Lloyd Noble tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this on Friday, Saturday. And I think fact is these these double headers probably get scheduled in in theory so that you keep a, a men's basketball crowd there for the women's game but i'd argue right now those roles are very much so reversed with everything the women's program has going for it and i think some of the feelings folks have about watching this particular ou men's team i know if you go on twitter but even you know i you know porter moser he had his radio show last night uh i'd imagine when he's out in norman he's hearing from that vocal part of the fan base as well about just these tight games or some of the performances. But if you want kind of that good juju, it's it's all on the women's basketball side right now. You know, it's going to be interesting, Eli, too. And we see this every year, the first games after school comes back. And I think we'll see it tomorrow. And I'm sure Twitter will blow up. Um, the football players will show up. Uh, the new players will show up at a basketball there you game. Go. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some football players in the stands and, you know, uh, uh, former quarterback, I know I don't like some fans don't want me to bring his name up, but Kayla Williams, when he was at a game, uh, they introduced him and the fans went nuts. And I'm really curious if Jackson Arnold makes an appearance and uh, and everyone recognizes Jackson Arnold at the, at the arena uh, during the basketball game. So that's going to be fun to see. I think there's only one person who could get a bigger round of applause who just got to campus than Jackson Arnold. Peyton Bowen? I think that'd be Peyton Bowen. Yeah, <laughs> I, think if, I think Jackson Arnold will get a huge one. And then I think, I'd assume, given their relationship, I believe they did indeed follow through on being roommates. Um, I think Peyton Bowen would, would garner a, uh, an even greater applause. Now, here's a question for you. Uh, Peyton Bowen saved it until pretty late, right, to make his call? Yeah. Obviously. You think Jackson Arnold had lined up another roommate and then had to have an <laughs> awkward conversation because his buddy from Denton was joining? That's interesting. I'm gonna, we might have to dig on that. That'd be fun, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, hey, hey, you got to get the things here. So, no, <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting, too. And, and you know, we talk about the newcomers. Of course, classes started on Tuesday on campus in Norman. So guys are getting used to the, not only their classwork, but Jerry Schmidt and the off-season off, uh, conditioning and transfer portal guys, too. I, I think they're, they finally, the window finally closed on Wednesday. And I think Oklahoma really did well and trying to really lock up what they needed uh, going into spring football. And that's important with a lot of these guys being in place for spring drills. I think that was the big thing. And I think Oklahoma did pretty well. Uh, we look at a lot of these uh, these uh, recruiting sites, and Oklahoma's top 10 in most of them for what they did in the portal. Yeah, I think they they really did address some needs. It's funny. You mentioned Jerry Schmidt. I got a real kick out of the photo that OU put out of him helping the freshman move in. He looked like a dad just dropping off kids, <laughs> and it, it was just like little. And I, Robert Spears Jennings, I believe, is the one who tweeted it. It's just like little do they know what's ahead of them. I'm like, <laughs> he looks so nice and friendly, pushing one of those full carts. They don't know. I don't think what's in store for them. <laughs> but you're you're exactly right. I mean, but they, they got the the freshman on campus, and he was 13 or 14 with Kendall Dolby, I think, is yep. the the later out. But the transfers that was they were going to have to replenish when we saw that they didn't lose a ton to the portal in terms of guys who contributed in 2022, but 
it was going to be a place to retool. They had to address some needs of, of holes left by guys who in the NFL draft. And, and they really did that. I think the biggest of them in the end was, was probably Walter Rouse, uh, who, who comes in. He, he was the Stanford, uh, what, a three- or four-year starter there, 39 games, commits to Nebraska. Uh, and then a couple of days later, flips and is coming to the Sooners. And I, I think that was really the last hole that needed addressing was the O-line. Uh, having that really you know, staunch left tackle there with, with Anton Harrison uh, off to the pros, I think that was big. And uh, I, that, that flip probably puts the bow on, on what was a pretty solid transfer class. What a way to finish if you're Brent Venables. You're right, to get that deep left tackle that you need. You know, you just need to create depth at that position. And and if you can get a one-year guy who can come in, kind of hold the fort down, allow those yeah. younger guys to get stronger, uh, just learn the game a little more, that's huge because it's just so much to ask a young player to play left tackle in, in major college football. And I think that Rouse was huge. Uh, you know, like you said, 39 games of starting experience. He's going to come in and really help that offensive line. Defensively, I was impressed with what they were able to do on the defensive line. You know, Dayson, yeah. I think that's how you say McCullough from Indiana. I think he's the big one coming in. And you look at what he, the havoc he was able to do as a freshman at Indiana uh, comes in. And of course, his brother, uh, how do you say his name? Is it Day? Day? I think it's Day. Day, just day. Yeah, so he's coming to school with his brother, but, you know, he, he brings experience. You know, you get Rondell Both Bothroyd. I'm going to have to learn to say these names. Boris, <laughs> who, man, you look at him over the past two seasons, 13 sacks. I mean, he they, they both of those players on the edge, they bring what Oklahoma needs. They needed some impact players on the edge, uh, you know, not to take away from Ethan Downs and um, what we saw from him, what we saw from Reggie Grimes. You know, they had strong starts, but it really tapered off near the, the the conference season. And I think not to take it, I think those two newcomers coming in will help those guys just depth. I mean, be fresher. I mean, it's one thing you don't have to play every down. You can get in there and you can be fresher. And and I think that's the big thing. And, you know, the one person I'm looking forward to meeting and talking to is Trace Ford. I mean, I know yeah. uh, him coming from Bedlam and, and you know, it's going to be interesting uh, seeing him. How, what's it like to those first days of o, at OU compared after spending that career at OSU? So just a lot of guys, a lot of needs. And, you know, we really haven't even talked about the special teams. I mean, you know, Luke Galzinga from Central Michigan, mm -hmm. walk on a preferred walk on. But even if we talk about filling needs, you're looking at someone who's going to try to take the place of Michael Turk. And uh, Turk was a weapon for the Sooners, too. He really so was. You really need someone there as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, they added uh, toward the end there another walk-on with, with Blake Smith, who's the tight end coming from Texas A&M. He probably, if you want to make projections, that Austin Stogner is your new, your replacement to Braden Willis from probably more of a pass-catching standpoint. Blake Smith might be that blocking tight end that you got from Daniel Parker Jr. in 2022. So that was, you know, maybe not a jump off the, the page ad, but a good depth ad. They need that everywhere. Is there anywhere Eric, you think they they left the cupboard a little bare? I mean, maybe to no fault of their own. I know wide receiver, they chased a lot of guys. It just really only worked out with Andrew Anthony coming from Michigan. I think linebackers a spot where I think you'd at least you're you're you could say thin right now. The the reality is I think they're they've left themselves probably to be reliant on a lot of sophomores, the guys Jaron yeah. Canick, Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, who we heard all great things about last year, but we certainly didn't they haven't played in a lot of games. I think those would be the two spots I'd look at and just wonder if, if maybe they're a, a player or two short there. We know that that spring portal window is is available, but usually less populated. Uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see how they feel about those position groups or maybe who they feel like from within can can fill in there.
Yeah, you mentioned linebacker, and that's right. They really are going young. It's a it's a youth move, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, we look at the potential of all these guys. I mean, Jaron Kanick, uh, how much would you like to see him on the field a lot more than he was this past year? Right? Guys like him are going to be asked to do a lot more, but I think they're prepared for this. Uh, and, you know, they have a year under their belt. You talk about creating depth. That's what that year was last year. It allowed them to kind of learn the college system, get a little more acclimated. Now they're going to get thrown in, thrown into the fire. But I think they're prepared, it sounds like, too. And I think you're, you're right. Wide receiver would probably be the one position where if you're an Oklahoma fan, you really wish that they kind of in, increase that, enhance that position a little more, especially after losing Marvin Mims, losing Theo Weiss. You just need those game breakers in there. And it's really surprising when you think about it, too, because uh, it just seems like, People, I, I I thought they'd do better. Let's just say that. I thought they'd yeah. do better with the position, not to take anything away from Anthony at Michigan. He had, you know, we look at the Michigan State game that he had. Uh, you know, he has potential. Uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, maybe, you know, you're counting on these younger guys. You're counting on, you know, uh, Jalil Farouk a little more next season, too. So uh, just I, I, depth-wise, I think that's the key. But I, there no, there's not a lack of talent in the position. You just wish you had more. Uh, one player that I really want to see, too, I'm going to switch gears on you, is uh, Reggie Pearson from Texas Tech yeah. in the defensive secondary. I mean, he's a guy that's played a lot of football. And, uh, you know, you look at those safety positions, they're losing a lot back there. And I think I think the secondary is going to be a lot better than it's been in years past, not only at the safety position, but the cornerback position, too. So you can see this thing starting to form under Brent Venables. You can see it start to come together. Uh, of course, nothing's seamless. Nothing, you know, nothing. it's never, there's never a seamless transition. We saw that last year. But I'm really interested in seeing how that secondary kind of builds itself up. Yeah, and the thing too, you know, you'll once spring camp kicks off, we will talk about the cheetah position to the point of like nausea. But <laughs> I do believe, you know, I, I'm curious if is Dayson McCullough a guy maybe they see filling a role like that? Could Reggie Pearson be a guy they see filling a role like that? That's the that's the defensive spot for me that I'm just continually interested in for a defense that continues to recruit, and, and they'll talk about it all the time just versatile, athletic guys who can work in space. I and mean, that's what that position's about. We saw it filled by a, a, a lot of different guys last year. And I do wonder, I, I'd imagine somebody that we that was not on this roster last year that they brought in in the portal might be somebody they view as, as, as being able to play that role. And, and so it is, you know, we can project all we want, but I'll be very interested to see um, who they see as a, as a candidate for that role in the spring. We do have a date for the spring game, April the 24th. Is, <laughs> Eli, this is probably the earliest announcement for a spring date that we've had since I've covered the beat. I was that that uh, date hit social media this week, and I was stunned that it's already out. I've got to hit you with a fact check. I've got to hit you with a fact check. You said the 24th, Saturday, April 22nd, man. Is it really? Okay. You're slipping. You are slipping. Oh, man. So, okay. So, it's one week after tax day. That's how I'll remember. <laughs> Taxes are going to be due one Saturday, and the game is going to be the next Saturday. So, I'm glad you fact-checked me on that one. Good job. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, we're going to see uh, see if Kyler's back in town that weekend. I wonder if with the I, – I just wonder uh, – uh, I think we just was, might see him that weekend. Yeah, the spring game was built around Kyler's schedule maybe. I'm kind of curious about that, of course. We're waiting to see another statue uh, out at Heisman Park. So uh, more details in terms of tickets and game time and all that come in the future. But everyone has a date they can circle. So April 22nd. That there is we the, go. No, 20 second, two, yeah, 22. I remember that. So. <laughs> uh, before we wrap this up, I just want to talk a little softball. Uh, the, the Big 12 announced, I think baseball will come out next week, but the Big 12 announced their preseason poll. No surprise, Oklahoma uh, picked to win the Big 12 for the 14th time out of the last 15 seasons. It's pretty incredible, incredible mark. Uh, they had seven 
on the 12-member the uh, preseason team, which is crazy. They had seven of the 12. Oklahoma State had two. So, you know, the Bedlam schools made up 75% of the All-Big 12 team. So that's that's pretty incredible. And of course, Jordy Ball, uh, just a, a unanimous pick, along with um, Tiari Jennings. And uh, Kelly Maxwell from Shu was a unanimous pick. It's, it's just it's hard to believe softball. It's just how this has grown for Oklahoma. And we were talking about this before we got on the podcast. Just uh, this is a softball state, and Oklahoma has has really good did good. You know, you got Jordy Ball, Alyssa Brito, Jada Coleman, Tiari Jennings. You got newcomers and Haley Lee and uh, and um, Cindy Sanders are on the team, and then uh, of course Grace Lyons, defensive player, stud at shortstop. They're they're they make up the team, seven of the twelve. So uh, already excited. Everyone's going to be excited for uh, for softball. I think my hot brave take: OU softball is, is pretty damn good, Eric. I think they're going to be good again. <laughs> Uh, but uh, to your point, you know, I spent last year up in Stillwater covering Kenny Gajewski's team and uh, the, the the softball talent in this state. And you know this better than me. You're you in the spring, you become Mr. Softball. But just across the state, top to bottom, we're talking obviously about the two Division One Power Five teams here. But just all over, it's it, it's really incredible. I think something I really enjoy is that at the end of the year, it all culminates here in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Uh, and and the fact that you know two of the best teams in the country happen to reside within, I, I think Stillwater is probably about fifty minutes from from Hall of Fame, and we know Norman's even closer, uh, is is pretty dang cool. And I, I think we're probably we've got another great softball season in store, which is quite exciting. Baseball coming up, of course. You're going to spend some time with Skip Johnson, uh, you know, previewing the team, and. Yeah. Then- that's going to be fun. And it's not often we're talking about a national runner-up team. So, of course, uh, you know, every team's different. I mean, it, it, you lose people to the draft. You lose people yeah. to the portal. I mean, everything's a brand-new roster. But one thing's, one thing's for sure, Skip Johnson will probably have his team ready to play. I would imagine. So they're, they're, they seem really confident about the fact that there was all that turnover, but who they brought in and the fact that, you know, this year and maybe they're already feeling a bit doubted again, which was a big, big bit of fuel for them last year. If you look at some of the the early college baseball rankings and all that, they're not in your the top 40s going out, the Nationals and all those. I'd imagine if you're Skip Johnson, that's just all the fuel you can get right now. Uh, as they, they open February 17th, it's going to come fast. They open with California Baptist. And Eric, can you tell me who is perhaps the most notable alumni of California Baptist? Al Baptist. I don't even know what their nickname is. Uh, well, so I should no. probably find that out first. I yeah. went straight for the notable alumni. Okay, who who, who is... Who is the give me some notable alumni from Cal Baptist? Yeah, they're the Lancers. The, the Lancers, Lancers knew, Cal I, Baptist. You okay. knew that? I now I do. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh notable alumni. They've got uh well, the most notable would be Brian or Brent Kutzel, who is the bassist and cellist for the pop rock band One Republic. <laughs> uh and then it's a, at least as far as my uh understanding goes, it's a steep drop-off. They've got a uh a Miss California contestant who was later on The Amazing Race. A uh, couple of California State Assembly members. It's, but, you know. Yeah, well, I will say this. Okay, this is why how I knew it was the Lancers. Mike Minyard, who used to be on uh, Oral Roberts staff, used to be on a Cal Baptist staff. And I follow him on Twitter, so we see some Lancers stuff. Now Mike is at U- USF. He went from one support of the country oh. to another. So, no, so the Lancers, yeah, so there you go. Well, I may have to uh, I may have to do a deep dive on the Lancers before they come to Norman. <laughs> it's going to be chilly coming from California to, yeah. uh, to Norman in February. I don't know what kind of baseball weather we're going to have. <laughs> and then uh, gymnastics, uh, of course, they, they're, yes. they're – 
you're looking for, you're talking about repeats. Uh, you know, you talk about Oklahoma winning the softball championship, uh, baseball being the national runner up. Now look at gymnastics. They're trying to go back to back as well. And they, uh, Sunday night, be back at Lloyd Noble Center, 645 against Utah. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, I, I, I'm settling into gymnastics. Utah has the best attendance in the nation, their home game, uh, home meets. And speaking to KJ Kindler, that's their goal at OU is to, to be Utah in the sense of they want 10,000 people at Lloyd Noble Center. And uh, I can say this, having been at some of the basketball games, I do wonder if they can pack Lloyd Noble Center on Sunday night better than maybe the, the men's and women's teams tomorrow because there is that excitement around this gymnastics team. They're, they've opened the season unblemished uh, and they, they kick off the title defense at home Sunday night. But, man, if you want to talk about an exciting team with a shot at a national title, look no further than the OU gymnastics. And uh, I'm looking forward to covering them this year and, and bringing stories to talk about on here and, and to the Tulsa world from that team because they really do have something special going on. All right. Well, Eli, I think we'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, busy week. Every time we think it's not going to be busy, it turns out to be Damn. a good one. So next week we'll talk more hoops. We'll talk maybe some football news. Hopefully we'll have a Big 12 schedule coming out. We're still waiting for that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Maybe next week at this time we'll be talking about road trips and where the Sooners are going. We'll, we'll wait and see. If I look purple, it's because I'm holding my breath on the Big 12 schedule. <laughs> so, all right. Everyone out there, of course, Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever platform, Google, whatever platform you use to get your uh, your podcast. And always, as always, Eli and I are all our copies on uh, TulsaWorld.com. Everyone out there, have a good weekend.